This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My guest this week is author and campaigner, Dov Foreman. Dov, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. You've co-written a book with your great-grandmother, Lily's Promise. Could, could you give listeners an idea of what the book is about? Yes. So the book is called Lily's Promise, How I Survived Auschwitz and Found the Strength to Live. And it was published by Macmillan on the 2nd of September, 2021. And the book is written together with my great-grandmother, Lily Ebert, who is an Auschwitz survivor, but also a survivor of Nazi forced slave labour and the death march, and also many other things in her life, which um, I won't give too much details about, but it's all in the book. And the book is about her her life before the war, what she lost in Auschwitz and her experiences in Auschwitz, and then having to rebuild a life and having and and how one carries on with life after kind of the depths of Auschwitz-Birkenau. And that's all discussed in the book. And then later on, I come in with my voice and I speak about the process of writing the book and making her share her story. Mm-hmm. Well, ju- just on that, how did you find the process of writing the book with, with Lily? Well, obviously, I'm only 17 years old, so mm-hmm. it was quite hard for me to balance school and the writing. Mm-hmm. But that's, um, I guess, a subject for another conversation. Mm-hmm. But writing together with my great grandmother was just an amazing process mm-hmm. because it's not often that young people will get to spend so much time with grandparents, let alone great grandparents. Mm. And so to be able to delve so far deep into her family history, into her own history, into her experiences, which mm. really wouldn't want anyone to have to relive ever. But going through that process with my great grandmother was incredibly inspirational mm. and that I, re- I really learned so much from it. And before undertaking the, the project, did you and your, your great grandmother ever discuss uh, her experiences uh, during the the war, during the the Holocaust? So I can't really remember a time when I didn't know she was a survivor. We were always very aware that she had survived the Holocaust, that she was an Auschwitz survivor, um, and that she had lost her mother, younger sister and younger brother in Auschwitz-Birkenau. But other than that, I didn't really know anything. I didn't know any details. I didn't know where she grew up. I knew the name of the town, but not really how, how her upbringing was similar to how mine was in the UK, very similar. And I think that's also something that struck me when I was writing the book, how similar Jewish life was pre the Holocaust to to now in London. And I think in a way that kind of when you read the book, it makes you realise how bad it was and how much people lost, because you often think that that this story is so long ago that it was very different and that you can't really relate. But when you read the book, you really realise, wow, it really wasn't that long ago and, and they lived a very similar life to us. It's very special for me to have a bond with my great grandmother so close. As I just said, not many people will ever have the opportunity to spend time with their great grandparents and to spend as much time as I've had. And obviously the COVID pandemic was very hard. It was incredibly hard for everyone and it, and it brought its own challenges for each family. But whilst there were many challenges for us, there's also a few positives that me and my great grandmother Lily were able to take from it. And one of those was that we were able to spend nearly every day together. So it was it was very special. And in a way, the, the lockdown enabled me to, to delve into her family history and write this book with her. And hopefully the book will be around forever. 
and hopefully people will be able to learn from her story now for, for forever. And, and it's just so important because if you forget the past, you are doomed to repeat it. And it's so important for people to learn the lessons, learn the lessons from the Holocaust survivors. Absolutely. And uh, another person who's uh, contributed to the book is His Royal Highness, the, the Prince of Wales. How, how did he get involved in the project? Yes. So thankfully, the royal family and the government in, in this country are very supportive of Holocaust education. The Department for Education only last week announced extra funding for the Holocaust Educational Trust, which is absolutely incredible news. And the royal family have um, actually been patrons of the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust for many years now. And I think it was in 2015, forgive me if that's the wrong date, but I think it was in 2015 that His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, Prince Charles, became the patron for the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust in the UK. And it's it's incredibly important because I think it reassures the Jewish community that, that especially in the UK, they will not allow something like the Holocaust to ever happen again, and they will not tolerate anti-Semitism. And the way Prince Charles got involved and eventually wrote the forward for this book was I think I just, I emailed him like any random, any random person can. I sent them a letter outlining the project and the importance of it. And it took a while, but I heard back from them and, and he was very supportive of the project and wanted to get involved and wanted to contribute a forward. I would say he, he's met my great grandmother and me twice mm -hmm. before, but that's, that's really not, I didn't have any back roots into, mm -hmm. into his yeah. team. I emailed them and, and thankfully, as I said, they're incredibly supportive. And the forward that he wrote, I think, is an incredible tribute, not only to Lily and the work she's done, but to all Holocaust survivors in the country. Absolutely. And uh, of, of course, you, you mentioned there that the, the government has been a really keen champion of Holocaust education and uh, making sure that the, that uh, awful, awful atrocity is simply never forgotten. And you and Lily um, attended the groundbreaking of the new Holocaust uh, Museum that's uh, going to be constructed in Victoria Tower Gardens in, in Westminster. What, what was that event like? It was, I, I felt incredibly proud to have contributed mm. to, to that project because it reassures me and, and many other young people, and especially the survivors who won't be with us in, in years to come, that something like the Holocaust, as you said, will never, ever be, be repeated again, hopefully. And I think on top of that, it's incredibly important because decision makers will see this Holocaust memorial every day when they walk into Parliament. And so it reassures me that they will know their duty to stop hatred in its tracks wherever they see it. And it was the event was very special to, to stand there alongside politicians with many Holocaust survivors and many campaigners who, who have been working for many years to get this to happen. It was just very special and to see that hard work pay off. And for the decision to finally be yes, that it can happen, it was just, it was incredibly moving. And my great grandma was very happy. And as I said, reassured, because she now feels and hopes that something like the Holocaust will never happen again. Absolutely. And we've got this Holocaust memorial being built and um, there are other, other projects going on around this. But so something else that uh, has been really interesting to look at is the fact that throughout lockdown, uh, you and Lily have gone on social media to tell her story. And you, you've had an incredible response to um, uh, Lily sharing her story. I mean, what what's, have, you, have you done to uh, promote the cause of uh, Holocaust education and remembrance uh, on social media? So as I said, I, can, I can't really recall a time when I didn't know Lily's Holocaust testimony. So during the lockdown, not seeing Lily for the first, the first lockdown for two months was really hard for me not to be able to spend time with my great grandmother. And I realized, really realized how precious she is and that unfortunately she won't live forever. But what I also realized is that at a similar age to me, my great grandmother was taken by the Nazis to, to a death camp and 
her mother, younger sister and younger brother were murdered for no reason, simply because they were Jewish, that's all. And I really realized that these are the last moments to hear from Holocaust survivors. So the second lockdown finished, I was sort of struck by, I guess, a newfound determination to share her story with the world and to learn more about her story. And so I took to social media and I, I asked her to show me as many things, tangible things as possible that I could tweet and post on social media. And she showed me a banknote. And on, on this banknote were written 10 words of hope the start to a new life, good luck and happiness. And this banknote was given to her upon liberation from the death march by an American soldier, an American liberator. And he didn't write his name, he only wrote his role. And so I tweeted this banknote and I remember joking with my great grandmother that because of the power of social media, I'll be able to find him within 24 hours. I really didn't believe it at the time, but 24 hours later, we were having a Zoom call with a family. And I guess that just shows the power of social media. Of course, there are many dangers and we have to be wary of these dangers, but there's also many positive sides. And if used in the right way, it can be absolutely incredible. And from there, I just realized that I have a platform that I can use to share her story. And we eventually moved over to TikTok and we now have nearly 1.5 million followers. And every day we have thousands of people asking questions and we try and answer as many as possible. And I think it's really been an incredible opportunity because we really are the first, not only great grandson, great grandma duo but also holocaust survivor um and, and young jewish person educating about the holocaust on especially tiktok but also on twitter with such a large audience around the world and it's it's incredibly important because in 30 years time young people will be able to take they will be able to say i know the holocaust happened why because i had my personal question answered by a holocaust survivor she was 97 at the time she had the auschwitz tattoo on her arm and i know she was there and i think that's incredibly important and people often forget. And I think the reason this is so important is because people often forget about the 6 million who died. They see a Holocaust survivor, but they don't, people don't really realize how bad the Holocaust was because you see the survivors, but you don't see those that weren't there. And my great grandmother's story is not the typical story of the Holocaust because unfortunately the typical story is not told. The typical story involves the obliteration of entire families, villages, or communities by guns, gas, and starvation. And it's so important to share the stories that we still have with us today. And I think on a day like today, when we're recording this, it's Remembrance Sunday. And on a day like today, it's so important to remember, but not only to remember, and the late chief rabbi, um, Lord Jonathan Sachs said that there's no words in biblical Hebrew for history. There's only a word for memory, Zachor. And the reason is because history is his story, an event that happened sometime else to someone else, somewhere else. Memory, by contrast, is my story. It's as part of my identity. And we need to do that with not only Holocaust survivors, but all survivors and, and stories of past events that happened because it's so important to learn from them. As I said at the beginning of this interview, if you forget history, you are doomed to repeat it. And the only way to build a better world is to learn from the past and, and build and hope that we that we can build a better future together. You're absolutely right there. And you, you've just touched on sort of the importance of remembrance for, for the, the Jewish community broadly. But I mean, of, of having researched this book and, and work with, with your great grandmother on this, what does remembrance mean to you personally? It's a very tough question because I think there's collective remembrance on a whole and what it means for the Jewish community, but not only the Jewish community, that humanity is, as a whole. And, and I could easily answer that, like, I guess. But remembrance for me is a tough one because as the great grandson of a Holocaust survivor, it's there's so many, it's very multifaceted. There's so many points which I would want to talk about. But I think it comes down very simply to what I said before and, and, and about how it can't just be a history. I do history level at school. And I really, when we learn about the Holocaust, it kind of shocks, 
it saddens me, but it's also shocking because you just can't teach the, the topic like a Holocaust in a classroom or through a textbook. It just can't be done justice. You need to learn it through survivor testimony and from eyewitnesses who are actually there. And I think remembrance for me is about making these stories part of our own identity. As you say, we, when we learn about the, the Holocaust in, in school, in, in history lessons, you know, we, we hear the, the figure of uh, there were six million killed in, in the Holocaust. And unfortunately, there are some who just take that as it's just a number. But with everyone, there's a story, there's a history in itself. There's a, a family there who lost a, a loved one, two, three, many uh, families were were killed in in that time, and you know, I I, I had the the privilege a few years ago of visiting Auschwitz and uh, the, the camps in in Poland, and you know, to have that tangible connection to this period of history, it, it does mean so much, and that's why I think you you really prioritised going on social media. Have you, have you been surprised at how quickly the, the the social media accounts and social media content almost blew up, if you like? Well, I think I'm just going to touch on the point you mentioned when you were speaking. It's so, there's such a large difference between actually hearing about these stories and the statistics between hearing personal stories. And then the reason I think our social media has, I'm going to say success, but I guess success is subjective and what does success really mean? But the reason our social media accounts have had such success and large following and, and large viewership is because we're showing this personal story and people are really able to connect and relate. And was I surprised? I guess at the beginning I was, but now you realise, first of all, how little people know about the Holocaust and they want to learn more. Um, but I guess what really shocked me was that people do want to learn. You see a lot of anti-Semitism online, a lot of anti-Jewish racism, a lot of racism in all kinds, in all forms. But I guess when you see that, you forget that there are good people on social media and there are people that do want to learn about the Holocaust. And, and I think it's really shocked me that, that there are nice people. And, and I think, especially when you're getting a lot of anti-Semitism, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of see past that and see the light. But something that I've learned from my great grandmother is you always have to, and that was last year's Holocaust Memorial Day theme, light in the darkness. You always have to see the light in the darkness. And the best examples of that are the Holocaust survivors themselves. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's been surprising, but also I guess people know so little about the Holocaust that, in a sad way, it's not surprising as well because people need to learn. And you, you mentioned there the, the very sad rise that we've seen in recent months and years in anti-Semitism. But with the, the social media activities that you are doing, unfortunately, there will be people who do uh, post uh, abusive comments and hateful comments. How, how do you respond to those comments? How do you deal with that, that level of abuse and racism? Yeah, so I think, firstly, a lot of people thought think that anti-Jewish racism, anti-Semitism, went away with the Holocaust, but unfortunately they're wrong. It didn't go away with the Holocaust. This year, anti-Semitism has risen 500% in the UK. The Guardian report only a few days ago found that over 50% in the UK don't believe that 6 million people in the Holocaust were killed. It's very, it's, it's very, very sad to hear all these statistics. And I don't really know one friend that hasn't suffered anti-Semitic abuse. I mean, people think that hearing someone shout, you dirty Jew on the streets is something that only happened in Nazi Germany. Unfortunately, it happens today on the streets of London. But the way I deal with these anti-Semitic attacks online, which often can be a lot worse because they can say whatever they want to and hide behind their screen. Mm. How I deal with them is I delete them. I block them. I send a screenshot to the police or to the CSD, the, the, the Jewish Community Security Trust, who have been incredibly supportive. Luckily, the Jewish community and not only the Jewish community, the politicians, as I said before, they've all been very, very supportive of the cause. 
and any as well as the police any hate crime i get people are very very supportive and and there's an amazing community out there and, and anyone who gets hate crime i would definitely say do not reply block them but make sure you have a proof of that of their text and their message and send it to the right organizations including the police cst there's there's many organizations out there and that's that's how i deal with it like everyone else should i don't reply because if you reply you're only digging yourself more of a hole and, and they'll just continue sparing abuse at you. And uh, earlier th- this week, there was a, an incident at uh, the London School of Economics with the is- Israeli ambassador who was there to give a, a lecture to a group of students. And uh, very unfortunately, she was hounded uh, by pro- pro-Palestine protesters and uh, just awful, awful abuse was held at her. She, uh, her uh, personal protection officers had to sort of forcibly move her into her car i mean when you see footage like that what 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 do you think about that how does it make you feel i think what's even more important to note is that was on the 83rd anniversary of kristana mm. not only were they targeting a jew they were targeting a jewish woman on the street who who had i mean to have thousands of people housing abuse at you online is something else but you can just block it in person you can't block these people and it's incredibly scary for a jewish person living in the uk right now it's it's amazing as i said the, the royal family is on our side the government is very helpful there's so many organizations across the uk not just jewish organizations non-jewish organizations too are incredibly supportive and i think it's 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 frightening whilst we have to appreciate the freedom that we have in the uk the democracy that we have there are times when it is very frightening and when there was the recent tensions in Israel, I think it was um, last summer, there were there were convoys of cars driving through the streets saying, we're going to um, kidnap and rape your Jewish daughters. And I think for, for many people, that was the, it was very frightening. And it's very similar to this incident with the Israeli ambassador, which happened last week at LSE. And I think, yeah, uh, as I said, I, I don't really know one friend who hasn't experienced anti-Semitic abuse on the streets of London. I still wear my kippah. Proudly, I still wear Jewish clothing. People would know I'm Jewish if I was on the street. But I, I have many friends who wouldn't do that because they're too scared. And I think it, it's it's quite a sad reality, unfortunately. And and hopefully people people will care and, and, make, and try and make a difference. And I guess we, we also have to appreciate, I think, you can often get carried away and, and look at the bad side. But as I said before, you have to be the look at the light and the darkness and appreciate how lucky we are to live in the UK. When, when there's so many people supporting us. But of course, we can't, we can't ignore the, the violence and rampant anti-Semitism, which is rife throughout society at the moment. Absolutely. And, and do you think there, there is perhaps even a, an issue when it, when it comes to freedom of speech, when we, we look at uh, d- discussing uh, Jewish issues and even, even debating uh, issues around the, the state of Israel as well? That, as you mentioned there, the tensions that arose around the conflict of Israel and Palestine as well. Are, are you concerned about simply having the freedom to talk about these issues? I'm not going to directly answer the question. Okay. Um, look, I guess there's there's a fine balance in life between when you go too far with what you say, and, and I think we have to encourage debates because that's that's the society we live in, and, and that's a democracy is built on on free speech and, and and debate. But there's a point when it goes too far, and and hounding people in the streets of London like they did to the Israeli ambassador last week outside LSE when she was there just for a simple talk is going too far. And yes, we have to have discussions, we have to have debates. That's how society works there comes a point when, when it's too far. And I think I'm not going to be the one to draw that line, but I think we just have to be careful with our words because as my great-grandmother, Lily Abbott, survivor of Auschwitz-Birkenau, often says to me, the Holocaust did not start with the final solution. It didn't start with the gas chambers in Auschwitz-Birkenau. 
it started with basic anti-Semitic words, with basic racism, with basic tropes, and with basic with words on the street. And we have to be very, very vigilant. We have to stand up to hatred wherever we see it. And it's not acceptable for people to go around on the streets of London hurling abuse at young Jewish kids, at, at anyone really, not just Jews. It's not. It's not acceptable. And we have to we have to try and stamp out that anti-Semitism, that racism, wherever we see it. You, you talk about that having the, the Holocaust and the final solution, and you know that it doesn't exclusively start there. But also, as well as that, you, you mentioned the the light in the darkness, and we, unfortunately, we see issues around the world today where there are awful uh, abuses of, uh, of human rights, and sadly, in China at the moment, we see uh, incidents that are reminiscent of. The early stages of the Holocaust, and in uh, relation to the uh, alleged uh, genocide of the Uyghur people, when you, when you read about these events going on ar- around the world, do you, do you worry that we are starting to potentially forget our past? I think people have. I think you forget history very quickly, and, and you forget events of the past very quickly, and especially as the number of Holocaust survivors dwindles with time, it's very hard for people to to learn from the past without that. As I said before without that personal stories, without that personal testimony. And unfortunately, throughout the world, I wouldn't say we're seeing exact copies of the Holocaust, but we, we are seeing certain aspects of, of the past repeating itself. And not even we don't even have to look as far as China. As I said before, we can look in the streets of London. The anti-Semitism is on the rise. Racism is on the rise throughout Europe, throughout the world, throughout America. And we, we really don't have to look so far away apart from our own society to see how people don't learn. And so I think we, we all need to look at ourselves and realise, are we stamping out hatred wherever we see it? Are we calling out anti-Semitism? Are we calling out racism? And if not, why not? Absolutely. You, you and uh, Lily, you've been doing some amazing work in re- really raising awareness of uh, Holocaust education and remembrance. So to, to finish, what, what's next for you and Lily? What's your next big project? What's next? It's uh, <laughs> The book is still out in the UK and we're still doing publicity for that. It was a Sunday Times bestseller, but there's still there's still places and, and things to do. The book is coming out in America in May 2022 with Harper One, an imprint of HarperCollins. The book is coming out in, it came out in Hungary last week. It's coming out in Germany and across the world in various, I think over 10 or 12 different languages, which is very exciting. And then I've got A-levels to do this year. So I think I'll focus on that and then we'll see what's next. There's, there's still a lot to do. We'll carry on with the social media work and we'll, we'll carry on trying to make a difference. Okay, well, Dove Foreman, thank you very much for coming on the show. Best of luck with publicity for the book and also good luck with your exams. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me today.